Hello, my name is Samuel George London, and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book artist, podcaster, and quite possibly the nicest person in comics, PJ Holden, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I've got a couple of bits of news. First, some of you may have seen on Twitter and the like that as we have now surpassed 75% funded on my most recent Kickstarter, Beyond Milford Green, I have now revealed our stretch goals. Those include extra behind-the-scenes pages, a blueprint of the United Galactic Alliance headquarters, an embroidered United Galactic Alliance badge, and finally, a printed pin-up of the big bad Grand Emperor Krogan drawn by Judge Dread artist and today's guest, PJ Holden. Check it all out on Kickstarter by following www.signalcomics.com forward slash beyond. Lastly, if you do enjoy today's show, please leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe it helps make others aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, PJ Holden. How are you doing? I'm good, Sam. I'm good. I'm all I'm all decked out with weaponry and stuff, survival gear, and all ready for the oncoming apocalypse. Amazing, ready to rock. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. I say decked out with weaponry. I mean, I've got some kitchen stuff like knives and forks. Um, I think general household appliances that might be useful, like the long end, long end of a Henry vacuum cleaner, or something I can hit Brilliant. people with it some reach. I don't have any actual weapons. <laughs> just household items it's just kind of like items, jason yeah. Bourne. yeah you yeah. know you can use a newspaper and a pen and stuff like if that jason Bourne woke up and with absolutely no memory of any martial skills whatsoever that's me that's, <laughs> that's me that is <laughs> fantastic well firstly pj holden thank you so much for being on comics for the apocalypse it's a, it's a real pleasure and honor to have you on um but for, for, for anybody that hasn't heard of you, and I'm sure there's very few of those, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Um, okay, I am best known for my work on Judge Dredd for 2018, which um, I've been drawn off and on bits and pieces for about 18 years. So it's odd to Incredible. think there's an entire generation of 2018 readers that don't know a time when I wasn't drawn for Absolutely. Judge Dredd. Uh, but I've also drawn, I've drawn stuff for the American market. I've drawn World of Tanks with Garth Ennis for uh, Dark Horse. And World of Tanks is a massive video game. And, and weirdly, the audience that probably, there's, there's more of an audience that has seen my work on probably on the, um, I did some artwork for World of Tanks on their video game uh, and have no idea who I am because that that <laughs> that has a million it's a million uh, millions and millions of units of that game are sold worldwide or are, are, are played worldwide so lots of people have seen it so I've done World of Tanks I've done Creator Stone own stuff with uh, Simon Spurrier uh, I've done stuff with Rob Williams um, I've done a lot of comics I've drawn a lot of comics very much so um, your your bibliography um, is rather long um, and impressive <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks very much. No one's ever said that about me personally, but thats it's nice to know my bibliography can carry that off. Oh, very much so. I'm, I'm happy to be the first. Um, and, and for anybody that isn't following you on Twitter and Facebook and the like, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Paul J. Holden. Um, and I rant a lot about stuff, so I, I think I'm good value on Twitter. I actually I'd think say. of of the things of my career, my tweet, my tweetering is probably the highlight for most. <laughs> Fantastic! So, and I, I, have a, I, have a, 
have a blog as well at uh, uh, yes. www.pauljholden.com, and you can follow my stuff uh, there as well. But and you're very active on that as well. Uh, well, often, I mean, sometimes I'll go through myself. periods where I'm suddenly very active and in other mm. periods where it'll be like, oh, I just want to apologize for not posting anything for about nine months there. Uh, but I, I do go through, I mean, sometimes I'll have, I get notions, I, I, I kind of, I, I don't know if it's boredom or something, but sometimes I'll go, do you know what would be a fun thing to do? If I ask people how I can help improve their artwork on a Friday, that'll be a fun thing to do. And then I end up doing that and it becomes, it turns into half a job and it's like, oh, that this is just too much. I should stop doing this. So uh, sometimes there are little frenetic bursts of activity. And the current one is I'm thinking of doing some, uh, I do I do videos uh, for, or I've done a couple of webinars for Clip Studio uh, on using Clip Studio, which is the kind of, uh, the comic artist version of Photoshop, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, I've done videos for uh, Graphicsly and Kelsis, who are the sort of the American and uh, uh, the American market and, and the uh, Asian market for those kind of uh, for Clip Studio. So I've done webinars for those guys. And I'm thinking of doing a couple of little YouTube things that I, spotlight things I always miss in a webinar because a webinar is like 45 minutes of me ranting about stuff. And um, I always forget. There's a thing I always go in and go, Right, I'll definitely do this, and then I forget to do it. Um, so I've I've done two webinars, and the reason I've done two webinars is because I wrote out a lot of stuff for the first webinar, and I only got to cover half of it. So, so that's why I ended up doing two. And I think uh, there's a chunk of stuff in the second one I left out as well. So I'm gonna go. I'm, I think I'm gonna do some videos. But you can find me on YouTube as Paul J Holden as well. As well, very very useful uh, for for everybody out there. And as you say, you you're good crack on uh, on Twitter <laughs> and the like. So everybody go follow. Uh, PJ on uh, Paul J Holden. Yeah, um, I like to think of myself as good value uh, yeah. rather than good crack because I think yeah. I I post a lot, but it's free, so you know. Precisely. Yeah, that's quite right. <laughs> yeah, that's quite right. Fantastic. Yeah, you can't, can't complain about the quality if it's free. That's that's the important thing. Exactly. If it's if it's free, there's no quality complaints. Alex, right. I no refunds. <laughs> Set expectations low. Yeah, that's oh, my yeah, motto. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, well, uh, the first question um, that everybody's asked on comics for the apocalypse uh, usually is, uh, "What apocalypse would you like to be in, or or which um, apocalypse?" All, it it uh, hardly you... matters to me at all because yeah. I am all set. You hit me with one, I'll tell you what I'll do. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so uh, you're actually the first of this new format uh, where uh, our guests now choose a number and then they're randomly allocated mm-hmm. a, uh, an apocalypse situation based on that number. So you chose number three. Yeah. And that randomly allocated you to an alien invasion. Number three um, wasn't random, though. Number three was because oh, no, no, it's no. right. It's right in the middle. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You didn't mention that, actually, did you, in your email. I, I, I like to be right slap bam in the middle. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, I want to be in the middle of it. Number three. <laughs> um, and yeah, you are right in the middle of an alien invasion. So yeah. the question is, what is your action plan? Well, number one, I live I live on a third floor of a block of flats that happens to overhang a TA barracks. So there, that, that Ooh, no matter zombie useful. apocalypse, alien invasion, I all I have to do is cut through the fencing and get in there. I'm safe. I'd find the, the the room in the lowest point in the building and hide there and just wait that whole sucker out. That's that's what I'm going to be doing, if that's a possibility. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, Why not? I mean that that's been my. Uh, the, I mean the other. It depends, right? So zombie invasion comes at you from a low perspective. They mm-hmm. they come low and so go high. So in the event of that, I block off, barricade the lower floors of my apartment uh, yeah. or my flat, and then climb up to the roof where I can travel back and forth between a whole bunch of different flats and get back down onto nice. the ground somewhere where they're not about. That's my. That's if they're coming at me low. But mm. aliens are going to come at you high. That's oh, the so, at all angles. Uh, well, well, I mean, you say all angles, but I mean, they're more likely to come from the sky than oh, come. from the sky. But yeah, yeah, and on the ground as well. I mean, yeah, I, like yeah. so they're coming at you from yeah. all angles, but from the sky. So yes, I just yeah. I just duck down into hedges, head down into the back of the TA barracks, find myself a cozy spot. Unless they're smart aliens. I mean, I'll very quickly know if they're the sort of aliens that have already thought about it and gone. Do you know what we should do? Take out any major. Um, any major arsenals that we think are going to be there in which case the TA barracks beside me is going to blow up and I'll be dead so it hardly matters it hardly matters it doesn't really matter what I'm going to do that's, and, that's, and, and yeah. would you see yourself when you kind of barricade yourself in the TA mm-hmm. barracks I'm sure a lot of other people would do that as well in the local area um, yeah. would, you, would you see yourself taking kind of a leadership role with that no i i'm pretty sure i would be the cardly type who would not i you know who would everyone would look eye up with suspicion and there would be a moment where i would have to kind of raise myself up but it would be about i mean the moment i would raise myself up would be when the leader self-appointed leader has gone look guys we the only way out of this is is we're going to have to go out of here take out some of the vehicles we're going to have to take some of these vehicles we're going to dress them as well as we can we're going to go through here and we've got to find other survivors right and when they're off doing that and doing the there's always someone in the back of the room going do you know what i think we should just let them do that and we'll stay here that would be me that would be the role i would take on i would be the cardly leader that would go i think we should just and i would get my comeuppance come the come the end of third act i would definitely get my comeuppance oh no i I have no illusions about how brave i am (laughs) none whatsoever (laughs) Um, and at the end of the interview we're gonna we're gonna circle back to this and, Mm -hmm. and find out what um what weapon tool or useful item um you'll be you'll be taking in to yeah. this alien invasion um mm-hmm. so so listeners stick around for that Alrighty. um but on on one of these um nights that you're barricaded into this t a mm-hmm. barracks um the the conversation of comics comes up and uh because you live nearby i guess you've kind of got your stash of comics fairly well, nearby. yeah I mean, my, my wife and kids will be carrying food and i'd be carrying a long box food can only sustain you for so long grab my grab my copies of the dark knight returns let's go <laughs> fantastic brilliant Wait, you don't need all of these copies of the dark knight returns surely just the one no nope. <laughs> right I, I want my old 1988 original i want my new 1995 one that i bought because my old original is a bit stinky but i still has got a sentiment of money i also want my uh deluxe edition the big the uh, the original art edition one of those please bring that as well and yes also that pure black and white one that's in french bring those Too let's right. go Amazing. i can't that's why i can't carry food <laughs> long box is essential <laughs> um so uh round uh this this one night um all of the kind of the people that have gathered in this barracks um but i'll ask you kind of what you do and you kind of talk about the fact that you know you're you're the the main artist for for Judge oh, Dredd. No, I, don't. I avoid that. No, I, I avoid that. No, that's a oh, yeah. I, that's that's a thing that's happened to me as I've got older. Is is where so many people have conversations about what job they do, and mm-hmm. I just know 
I will say, oh, I'm a comic artist. And then I'll have to, I'll either be faced with one of two responses. And I say one of two is like it's 50-50. It isn't. It's much closer to like 90-10. One one response will be, oh, well, that's a really cool thing. And the other response will be, what's that? Do they still make comics? So that's, so it's always, there's always a potential for it to be really depressing. I can imagine myself going, yeah, I am a comic artist. And I go, right, well, just mark him off as useless in the event of any, any apocalypse whatsoever. He has no life skills whatsoever. What's he going to do? Give the alien a paper cut? Forget it. (laughs) Just useless. Not at all. Not at all. I I, I reckon you'd surprise people. (laughs) Um, but, but but the conversation of comics does come up, and the first question that's asked is, "What's the first comic that you remember enjoying?" Okay, well, I I was kind of a late bloomer for reading, and my my when I was in primary school, uh, the school wanted to put me in a remedial reading class because it appeared that I just had no interest. But it's because I had no interest in reading books. I was really into comics, and for me, I like my earliest memories are going to my local library, which is one that's still round the corner and I take my kids to sometimes right. um, and they had a, a kind of selection of your, of even Asterix and Lucky Look and this would have been I suppose 1979 70 well 78, 79 yeah 78, 79 I mean there are definitely other comics I remember they're, they're um, the Crazy Gang and and um, you know Wizard and Chips and all these these early comics, but Lucky Look and Asterix the Gaul were the thing that that you know I I really latched onto um, and just going to that library and just really kind of loving being. And I mean it's it's not like other comics. I think I would read and go I enjoy that that was good, but Asterix and Lucky Look make me feel safe. Make me feel like I'm in, in a warm place. So they 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 would center me. I think. I mean, if I had them in an apocalypse, and and I, I I would find a room and I would just sit and read that, and it doesn't matter what would be going on in the world, that would be. I'm quite content here. Yeah, it's a nice cocoon. Yeah, it is, and I, I'm, and the thing is, I think you think to yourself that well, I was seven or eight or nine or whatever age I was, and so they were impressive because you were seven or eight or nine. You go back and look at them now, and they're still amazing. Asterix mm. is still incredible. In, fa- in fact, if anything, Asterix is funnier now than when I was that age, because when I was that age, I skipped all of the hard names. All of mm. the names like Getafix and Cacophonix uh, Kikof- and, and stuff, I just skipped them all because they were long words with C's and X's and, and it was like, and Big Chief Vital Statistics, I just went, Big Chief and just slumbered over and dogmatics which is one of the greatest puns in the world i think um and i mean before i i just knew it had the word dog in it so i thought well that's why they've called it dogmatics because there's the word dog in it not realizing dogmatic means to kind of not let go of something and and turns turns out dogmatic is kind of one of the biggest elements of my personality personality i think but but um to to find out later on as you get come back to this stuff that there's some world class puns in this and uh, the English translator whose name I cannot remember I'm going to Google her because I'd feel shame if I if I didn't um, uh, the she died recently mm. and um, when she died there was a kind of um, uh, Anthea Bell her name was um, when she died recently there was a kind of a rounding on. Uh, let's look at her work again. How good was she? And it tur- I mean, it turns out she did some stuff that was just utterly magnificent that that wasn't even about the puns, but it was a way to translate the humor in, mm. in, in a way that um, 
it still works, even though it's 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 not a direct translation. It's a translation things like Google couldn't offer you, or even you know she was basically rewriting Asterix uh, in uh, to to suit an, an English reading audience, yeah. and and, a, yeah. and yeah, and and making it even funnier. And I I mean I'd love to be able to read the original French. I wonder if it's as funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean my 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 wife's French, and we're raising <laughs> our child uh, um, bilingual. Um, yeah. So Asterix, oh, well. it will, will actually kind of be a bit of her childhood. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know yeah. <laughs> when I get around. She's only twenty months at the moment, so yeah, it's well, early there's, there's, um, there's one, there's one thing she translated, which was the, uh, the whole thing with the English in it. Uh, there's sort of Asterix right. and Gaul, go to, uh, go to England essentially, and the English are all sort of translated to these. Oh, toodle pip old chap. What what? And there's a whole pun about what's and what 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 all this stuff going on, and and that's all made up by her. That you know all of the translation of that is completely. There is no none of this kind of tally hole old chap and all this. She's kind of made them more English to 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 work better. She's made them upper class English, um, which Brilliant. kind of works better for the translation. So. You know, in the original French, they are still they play on French stereotypes of Englishness. I think, yeah. which is not the same as English stereotypes no, of English. It's not. Yeah, in this, no, in the nice. same way that French, uh, you know, the English stereotypes. I love this. The the the, the French stereotype. Uh, the, the the English idea of a French stereotype is a kind of striped shirt with onions, and that turns out to be a Belgium. You know, that turns out no. to be not French <laughs> at all. And but that's what we've got in our heads, and it's unmovable. <laughs> It is yeah. utterly unmovable. So, um, so she was able to kind of do that and 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 delve into different stereotypes and stuff. And and, and you know, so Asterix still got Lucky Look. I think it's probably just as good, but it's I haven't seen Lucky Look in quite some time. But it was still beautiful artwork, though. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And so the conversation moves on to more warm, fuzzy feelings. Yeah. Of what's the funniest or, or comic that made <laughs> you laugh out loud the most? Well, like Asterix is funny because it's funny. I mean, the jokes in it are funny. They they you know the idea of of uh, this little kid who who grows up having fallen into the the magic potion and always wants more magic potion and is collecting helmets of of the Romans is very funny. It's, it's mm-hmm. visually very funny. But then, when I first discovered 2080 and Judge Dredd, that introduced a different kind of humor to me. Um, yeah. And and the humor it introduced is a very bleak black humor that that is still part of my makeup. And I I mean I I did a um I can mention in Dublin one time and I was sat with uh Mike Mulcher. I'm sure you know Mike, but Mike's uh, the very tall gangly uh, uh PR guy for 2080. And Mike and I go mm. back years and years and years. We we go back to before either of us were working for 2080 and he he kind of said, "You know, what was it about dread that appealed and i went well i grew up in northern ireland i mean you'd like before i mean now there's some talk of police with guns in england and stuff but well i grew up with armed police all the time i grew yeah. up with armored armed police riot police walking the streets all the time and the absurdities of the stuff that would go on um sort of directly appealed to me this the stuff that happened in dread was kind of yeah you know i can i can understand that that that's funny to me the idea of a, of dread shooting a jaywalker or, or shooting a guy for littering and going you know that the punishment's death because i don't have time to deal with this and going on that's all funny i mean it's i can understand people not find that funny and going you know that's that's a terrible thing to happen and you're kind of going well look you've got one of two options here you can either look at that as a real thing and think that's awful which it is yeah. or you can look at it like that's that's a kind of ridiculous, over-the-top um, hyperbole, uh, uh, hyperbole uh, and and 
you know, that's not a real thing and that's not something that should happen. And, and, and when you accept that that's hyperbole and that's over the top, that's when you, it suddenly becomes funny. And the, the more over the top it becomes, the funnier it gets, you know, yeah. it's, and, and the more it's pushed. And I mean, that's that, that sense of humor, that black sense of humor, I think, is, is endemic in Northern Ireland. I, I mean, we have that here. It's, it's, it's part and parcel of who we are, I think. Um, and I think that's why it sort of it translated well to me anyway. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, and I, I mean, from Northern Ireland's point of view, I think if you grew up here, like I would have, we would have been chucked out of school for bomb scares. And so, hmm. you know, you, you'd find yourself having conversations with mates going, do you know, if like if this had happened tomorrow, it would have been great because we have an exam. And then your other mate going, I, I might just phone in a warning. <laughs> You know, yeah. just and so you're left with this. I mean, I I didn't like. I, I don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are people that had terrible experiences during the troubles. Yeah. I didn't. My experiences were all kind of um, not. I don't want to say great, but I mean, I didn't feel like it troubles affected what what I did. On the other hand, I know that if you grow up in a situation like that, you it's hard for you to measure it against anything else because that's the situation you have. It's hard mm. for you to kind of go, I don't know what it's like to be not colorblind if you're colorblind because mm. you've, you've never had that, that alternative uh, experience. So for me, I, I've never known what it's like to not grow up with the troubles. On the other hand, there was nothing about the troubles directly impacted me personally, uh, except in cool ways. So I say in cool ways. I, I, I had a, I remember um, uh, there was a bomb scare right beside where I worked and we were all chucked out and it was the first time I saw a robot and I worked in oh, computers wow. and it was the most amazing thing this little yeah, lumbering robot bomb disposal mm. robot sort of lumbering along going that's amazing not one part of my brain going you could blow up at any point yeah, exactly. you could blow up you know I, think, I mean there was one incident that happened that, that sort of directly impacted me which was I was about 16 years old and somebody threw a petrol bomb into my house but they didn't. They didn't light it. They couldn't light it. So they left the scorched remains of the of the of the kind of the, the little bit they were trying to light outside. And right. so then the petrol bombs. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I'm sure you're not. Why you would be? I don't know. But petrol yeah. bombs are made with petrol and sugar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. the sugar is there to make it sticky. So the idea is that it sticks to whoever or whatever it's thrown at. And so right. when we came out, there was a smear of sticky petroleum all across the wall. On, on the on the I was sleeping downstairs and, and we had two living rooms. And the front living room was, it sounds very grand as a house, but it was, it was, mm. go, it was uh, government accommodation. It wasn't like we were rich or anything, but right. um, it was council accommodation. Rather. So the, the whole wall there was, was kind of covered in this petroleum jelly. And I was kind of, I was going, I I don't understand. I don't, my brain couldn't process that I could have died and just didn't. And then the ridiculousness of it was that, um, I mean, the guy couldn't light the thing. So you can imagine someone sitting there trying for 20 minutes to light this thing, not getting it to light, going, can I swear? Am I allowed to swear? Is swear? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's okay. fine. I, 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 can always, I can always bleep it after. Yeah, I was going, you know, trying to light this thing and just spending 20 minutes trying to light it, to throw it at our house and trying to light it, not getting it lit and going, ah, I'll just throw it in anyway. <laughs> just chucking in a bottle with petrol in it that was not going to do anything. But at the same time, I mean, to 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 consider killing someone. I no, I think I don't think he actually thought anyone was in the house. I think he thought because my mum and dad would have gone away for the summer, and they were away for that summer. But I stayed at home because I was working. So I was living. I was staying in the house on my own. I was the only one in the house. I stayed downstairs. Uh, because I couldn't, I didn't have an alarm, so I'd, I, there was an alarm downstairs. I thought if I slept on the, the sofa, I'd wake up. I was 16. I had no idea. I had no idea I could bring the alarm upstairs. It never occurred to me. Um, 
And I think he thought it was an empty house, but he knew that my parents were mixed marriage, Catholic and Protestant. And so uh, he he just went, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to explode this. And But he was hammered. So I don't even know what happened to that guy. You know, I mean, but it's it's one of those things you do walk out of that either thinking breaking down and crying and thinking my life is I don't know what my life is or going, well, that's ridiculous. That's funny. And I know, I mean, like Garth grew up in Northern Ireland as well, Garth Ennis, and mm. he, had a, he had a similar not touched by the troubles experience, and, mm. but at the same time has one of the blackest sense of humours I think any writer has. So it just, it's what makes us, I think. Definitely sounds like it. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> kind of touch, touching on kind of, not exactly black humour, but changing emotions to yeah. uh, the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've Yeah, read. well, there, there's two. I, put, I cheekily put down two answers. There's mm. one moment where I felt like, oh, I could, I, this, this would make me cry. But it, it's such a singular, isolated moment and that um, it's, it's a little harder to explain. So uh, uh, Almer wrote Captain Britain mm-hmm. in, in a series of books called, I think it was, a, it, it jumped ship from different titles, but it ended up in a, a book called The Daredevils. And they were short, like five or six pages of Captain Britain. And you can buy those collections now, I think. Um, and it was, um, it was a scene where Captain Britain is at his lowest ebb. He has nothing anymore. He is, there's nothing he has uh, except for this little pal called Jackdaw. And Jackdaw is kind of this elf-like character. And Jackdaw is like, come on, Captain, we can do this. We can do this. And Cap's going, everything's lost here. Everything's lost. And he's been hunted down by the creature called the Fury. And the Fury is this unstoppable killing machine designed to kill superheroes. And utterly emotionless. No, there's not a thread of emotion through that thing. It was created and designed to obliterate anything with superhuman powers from the universe that it existed in and except for Mad Jim Jaspers who created it and that's a whole other element of the story and there's a point where um, uh, the Fury turns to Captain Britain and misses and and kills Jackdaw and and Jackdaw's kind of dying and he dies in Captain Britain's arm and Captain Britain is just suddenly overwhelmed by the whole emotion of it all the whole kind of I've lost everything and the only thing I've had that's that I know I could count on is Jackdaw and Jackdaw was the first death I ever saw in a comic that that right. actually that actually was a death that wasn't yeah, yeah. Jackdaw's back again know, is it going to come he was no, going to no, come back no and, and <laughs> right. I, I mean I, I would say that in the strip that uh, there's a point where the fury does kill Captain Britain as well but Captain Britain is bought back but the the bringing back of Captain Britain is a whole like it's a it's a great episode called I think it's called a hank of bone uh was it um a rag of bone a hank of hair uh by Almer and and it's 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 the Merlin the magician brings uh, basically rebuilds Captain Britain and then there's a, and this is another big strong and emotional beat where uh, he rebuilds Captain Britain altogether. It's it's not even he's brought him back from the dead. He's recreated him, but he's recreated him with all of his memories and all of his abilities and and so on. And as as he's knitting this this Captain Britain together, it's a kind of it's a really clever way to kind of tell a character story as well. It sort of tells the background of the character. There's a couple of bits in it that I I've always quoted. I even now 30 40 years later I I would still quote to people. One of them is there's a bit in it where Merlin daughter says why didn't you show yourself to uh, Captain Britain I mean he, this is a character that uh, Cap- Brian Braddock has, has lost everything he's got nothing and he's felt that he's had no help from you Merlin who gave him his powers in the first place why don't you show yourself and he goes well which self should I show him? And then there's a little little sort of breakdown of five or six panels where Merlin sort of walks through these different how Merlin has looked 
over the over the period of the comic and and he's radically different in each of them there's a kind of traditional merlin with a big long beard and there's a sci-fi merlin there's a kind of weird insecty merlin he says how would i how should i show myself to him he wouldn't recognize me no matter what i looked like in other words the Mm -hmm. what what captain britain has seen of me is one small aspect of who i am in -hmm. total he has not seen he doesn't know me he thinks he knows me but he doesn't and then the the other heartbreaking bit is uh captain britain's brought back from uh, the dead or or the is recreated from the dead but thinks he's been brought back from the dead and worse worse is that he thinks merlin saved him and merlin didn't and merlin plants him back on our uh, on earth 616 so this is a different earth he was on so he plants him back mm-hmm. on earth 616 and and camp britain wakes up in tears saying thank you merlin for saving me and it's just wow it's just whoa that's like he didn't save him he was an absolute bastard to him yeah. he could have saved jack Doyle. he could have saved captain he didn't he let him die and then he recreated him for whatever purpose he has we don't know but he recreated him and that's and but but that character thinks that captain britain thinks merlin saved him and so he's placing all this gratitude in the hands of this character that doesn't deserve it and that's another big strong so the, i mean it's a real rule i mean that run of captain britain is incredible really yeah. good so and the other the other element so i actually thought i'd struggle to describe why that's emotional strong but i i think i did that <laughs> you managed i managed it <laughs> but the, so. the other uh alan moore story which i read when i was very young which which blew me away um didn't make me sad but it made me kind of just go wow i have had mm-hmm. an emotional response to this and i i don't know i don't know how to describe this comic to my parents because this is a sci-fi comic in a sci-fi strip and this is not a sci-fi story and it's called i'm gonna spoil it sorry i i mean i don't yeah, know how you want to deal with i'll have to spoiler it's alert fine, it's, fine. it's a four-page future <laughs> yeah. shock by alan moore called the time machine and the artwork is by jesus redondo and the idea is, is this character it starts off we see this character traveling through time and you see the kind of the visual effects are these bubbles kind of floating around him as he recounts his building of the time machine and his obsession, his kind of singular dogmatic ex, uh, obsession with building this time machine and, and how the only time that he ever veered away from this obsessive compulsion to build this machine was when he met his wife. When he was, you know, even when he was a young child, he was always building stuff. When he met his wife as a student and, you know, it shows you him meeting his wife and, and falling in love and being married. And it's like, and uh, this is all happening like he's traveling through time and witnessing all of these events. And then, um, and then you start seeing the breakdown of that relationship. And remember, like this is this is uh, 2000 AD when it was a kids comic, and I was like 12 or 13 or something. I don't know what age I was, but it was mm-hmm. you know that sort of age. And and so he's shown this breakdown of this relationship because of this obsessive nature of finding the time machine. And then it shows you this this bit where you realize he's built the time machine. His wife has left him. He's got nothing left. There's his, his, his entire life has been destroyed because of this obsession to build this time machine. But it's okay because the time machine's going to work and he throws the switch and it doesn't. And then, he, and then you follow him as he walks to a bridge and he leaps off. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's wow. giving me goosebumps just describing that. Yeah, it's have got goosebumps just just talking about that. That is upsetting, isn't it? Yeah, I and I, I was thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. I, I, yeah, so yeah. That's you know. Really. Yeah, I mean, impactful. I had I, suicide. Never touched my life at all. Um, I mean, we. I've since uh, my I lost my brother uh, brother in law suicide. Um, and so mm. I know I know the emotional, I know how. You, <sighs> I know how the emotional hangover from that can hit and and can stay mm-hmm. with you for decades. Um, yeah, so yeah. so that strip, I think, if you're 
you could be like it could be a gut punch you know it can be, i mean it was a gut punch it was a gut punch when i was 12 or 13 but i was like i was looking at it going it's not even a sci-fi story it's not mm. you mean it's called a time the time machine and it's a time travel story but it's not he's not traveling through time it's a flashback it's his life flashing before his eyes and and it's i mean it's just stayed with it stayed with me to the extent that i i really wanted to try and get some artwork from it i couldn't but i've got i, I do have i'm looking at it now i have a jesus redondo story uh, from a girl's comic called june and it was drawn on december 13th 1969 which is only a few weeks before my before i was born so that, that that's a nice little kind of ties that all together. That's a nice little thing. Um, so that's so the time machine. I mean, and it's actually it is part of Almer. There's a Almer Complete Future Shocks, which uh, I'd recommend you pick up. And it is one of the stories in that. The other thing, I mean, it's four pages. It's not long. Yeah, as well. It's it's, it's yeah, yeah. Oh no, actually, I'm looking at it right now. One, two, three. Four, five. It's five pages. I tell. I'll tell a lie. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> I'll let you off. <laughs> Harry Bentley was going down for the third and last time. It didn't matter. He'd found his time machine, and it had worked. Really worked. And that last panel is just as he's as he's dying. He's smiling, and he's remembering those moments when he was happiest with his wife and his kid. Mm. And it's like, I mean, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. Totally. <laughs> Sorry for no, such a diner. No. Not at all. Um and you know it's it, it's something that I've been I've been talking about with other guests is that you know it's it's important to approach these emotions in stories and and comics is a great way of of mm. kind of revealing um those types of emotions because um you do have uh, you have the art and kind of the story itself and the dialogue um, but also you can take a step back as yeah. well it's not really kind of like a movie where you can just like you wouldn't pause it it's pace, yeah it's, it's, a, it's but a you can sit back and it's, it's reflect a, it's at the reader's pace i did i um exactly. i did a story that sort of dealt with the death of my mum and right. it, it had a it had a really great response it was hard for me to do i was kind of it was around the, the anniversary of my mum's death my mum mm. mum died about um was it 12 years ago or something um but it's always a thing i've struggled with because you know i was very close to my mum and my mum sort of set me on the path of reading and stuff and so i i i wanted to do a little i don't know what i wanted to do i just wanted to do a story um and i it started as a conversation with my mum uh and it became i think I, as I as I because I was drawing it and writing it as I was doing it, it wasn't like I'm going to write this and then I'm going to draw it. I didn't really feel like I felt like if I drew it, if I wrote it out and then drew it, it would be now I'm emotionally distant from this and not and and because I'm emotionally distant from it, it feels like I'm exploiting myself. Mm. The, you know, I'm exploiting an emotional feeling for myself, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I felt like no, I want to do this, and so I did. I I told I told a story, and um, I think. Just the way it was told, I think it connected with a lot of people. It really did connect with people, and I, I mean, I, I I put it on Twitter because it wasn't particularly well drawn. It was drawn as a, it was like slightly above scribble quality. Uh, but once it was drawn, it was like I don't feel like I want to draw that again. I don't feel like I mean, that, I've yeah, I've expelled that's... that from from inside me. I've you know that okay. that's out there. Um, but it, it, I mean, I, I, I quite a lot of people say it said to me that they. They haven't lost their mother recently or lost someone close to them. That strip felt very kind of, it felt like it was speaking to them directly. And I, and I think part of that is because it, it is very specific. There are very specific mm-hmm. things talked about in it that are, that are, so, you know, like I think 
you know, you read about writers and they talk about um, there's a, a guy called Tim Clare who does a, a podcast called One Thousand Death by a Thousand Cuts, which is a really great mm. writing podcast if you want to learn how to write. It's mm. it's pretty. He has this sort of uh, class that he does that's uh, 8K, uh, couch the 8K about getting you to write eighty thousand words over yeah so many so many weeks. And right, what, right. one of the, one of the things he talks about is as a writer you want what, what he calls crunchy specificity. In other words, uh, you don't want a character reaching for the gun. You want the character reaching for the um uh, you know the 303 revolver that you know their dad right. used to own that their dad kept in the cupboard you, mm-hmm. you you want you want something very specific and so just by talking by doing a sort of autobiographical piece it was super specific because it was real things you know it wasn't it wasn't here's some generic information it was here's a real thing and i think because that's a real thing people you know i talk about um i got married in barbados and my dad had sort of said he wasn't going then he turned up and he was turned up wearing this ireland shirt that looked like a tourist and it was like ah and and it, but it's such a weirdly specific story or part of that 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 story that mm. i think people you know all of these kind of elements added up to something that that people could connect to um even though even though it wasn't directly relating to their experience but but i think that 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 experience of losing someone and wanting to speak to them again and and missing them and having that strong emotional feeling that's that's quite universal so anyway yeah, absolutely, and and sorry, PJ. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that strip. No, it's quite. We've right. gone quite the emotional journey, haven't we? So far? yeah, well, yeah, Are absolutely. We on the the apocalypse item? is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate uh, appreciate you sharing all of this. PJ. It's really, really um, interesting. Um, and um, that strip is it, that's available on your Twitter. Did you say? Yeah, it's on, it's on the it's on my tweet. Uh, it's on my first it's on my pinned tweet because i am it's still tweet. I'm quite right. proud of it i'm i'm you know yeah. there's there, there, i mean i got slightly in trouble with my wife for going you've mentioned some very specific things in that that make me a bit unhappy and i'm like going, well I, I just sort of it just it just came out of me it's just the way it was it was just like me telling a friend um so uh yeah so there yeah it's, it's kind of it's there it's it's on my it's on my twitter you'll see it on there Amazing. Um, and uh, changing emotions again, yeah. um, the next topic that comes up is what's the scariest or most horrifying comic? Well, I, I have I have picked Walking Dead. And the reason I've picked yes. Walking Dead is that um, Walking Dead, I started reading it at a particular time in my life where I started, where my where I didn't have kids when I started and I did have kids by the time I finished it. And right. I, I could read it before I had kids. Once I had yeah. kids, it was like, I cannot read this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just put it down yeah. again. I just went, I'm yeah. done. Can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, generally anything with kids in peril, I, I struggle with. I've always struggled with kids in peril. Um, I, I, I've got to be honest, I don't particularly enjoy scary stuff. I, I It's like, mm. it's not an emotion that, that I... I walk away from going, oh, I'm glad I was scared there. You know, I, I mean, mm. I know people get that. I know people yeah, yeah, enjoy that, but I do not. And, and I mean, I, I did a roller coaster ride. There's a, now you'll laugh at this. Rob Williams, a good friend of mine who writes, uh, wrote through Squad Squad, laughs mm. his head off at this every time. He doesn't believe me, but it is true. Uh, the South of Ireland has a, um, a, a, a kind of fun park, uh, a theme park. And it's, the basic theme is, potatoes now let me explain <laughs> can you be any more of a cliche Come yeah, on. let me let me explain this right there there's a brand of crisps in the south of ireland that's also in right. the north of ireland called tato crisps right. the tato tato factory uh, where they produce those crisps they they i think they bought a factory in the middle of nowhere and they had a lot of land and so what happened was over the course of you know 10 or 15 years it started as 
you can go to Tato Chris and get a tour of the factory. Then it became, you could go to Tato Chris and get a tour of the factory. And also we've got a couple of animals, uh, not many animals, just sort of farm animals. And then it became, we've got uh, this, we've a couple of farm animals, plus a couple of more exotic, like uh, small monkeys and things like that. And then it became, uh, we, we, do you know what? We, we, have, uh, we have this, uh, if you want to stay overnight, we've got these teepees and what they called, and I, you know, I please forgive the cultural appropriation here. It's not me. I'm telling you what this says. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, they, they have a, uh, they had, they've since changed this, but they had a set of teepees you could go and stay because some bright spark went, well, we can't get away with a potato theme fun uh, player, a potato theme park. What are we going to do? And somebody must have gone, well, potatoes come from uh, North America. So could we call the park, the, the area where kids are staying, Potato Haunted? <laughs> Is that a doable? Is that okay? <laughs> and so... so so there is a, there, there's a now they've since they took out all the TPs. There is a, a, a kind of a half derelict sign you can see that says "Welcome to Potato, Potato Hunters." But this, the park has got bigger and bigger and bigger to the we like we don't have fun parks in Ireland. There's no there's nothing mm-hmm. equivalent of um, Lego Land. Uh, yeah, we don't have any of those. We've none of those. If we want to go to those, we've got to go to uh, Great Britain, the, the Big Island. Um, right. So this is this is kind of steadily grown up as we've been starved of things to do, and it now has among the many things it has is a roller coaster, and the roller coaster is it's one of the biggest uh, wooden roller coasters in Europe, I think. So it's a really yeah. it's a really proper big roller coaster. This is all grown out from you know let's go and see. The, so you can still do the factory tour. It used to be one of the highlights of that of that going to uh, Tato Fun Park was that when you left they give you a big box of crisps. Of That's a genuine yeah. thing they did. Uh, now they give you one bag of crisps because they've got stingy as more people have come to it but um you do the the and and i went and my kids were keen for me to do this thing and i went yeah sure i'll do this thing so i went on this roller coaster having never been on a real roller coaster before i've experienced a really really. tiny one and uh, this was like two years ago this is like last no it was last year and i went i went on it i came off and went that was petrifying i'm never doing that again you'll never get me on a roller coaster you know what are you glad i did it only the once only, only. I'm. Do you know what? If someone could explain to me how horrible it was, I wouldn't even have done that once. When when Annette and I got married in Barbados, we went um, scuba diving, and I can't nice. swim. And I well, I can't swim. You see, and I have a real right. fear. I have a real fear of water. A genuine like yeah, sure. a genuine. If I'm in a swimming pool, I will hold on to the edges, even if it's only three foot. That's kind of how yep. afraid I am. So we went. We went. It wasn't scuba diving. Sorry, it was snorkeling. So we went snorkeling, and the first place there were two locations we were going. We were on a catamaran with a couple of other people, um, a, a couple of other couples. Uh, so we went out to snorkel with uh, um, tortoises or turtles, one of the two, and. Mm-hmm. And Annette's going, this is amazing. We had like uh, buoyancy vests on us and we had the snorkeling gear. And I, I swear to God, it was the most terrifying experience of my life. And I came back up. And the second time we were, we were going to snorkel around um, <clears throat> a, uh, a boat, a derelict boat that was sunk. And there was lots of exotic fish there. And Annette says, come on out. I went, you know what? I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to stay on this catamaran, have a really nice lie down. And, and everyone else went out mm-hmm. and I just stayed. And I had a lovely time. So I don't, I don't, do, yeah, I don't do scary things. If scary things happen, I will go. What's the better option? I'll do the better. And I think people think to themselves, 
oh, you, you're missing something here. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, you're missing something here. You're missing what yeah, exactly. I'm getting. Why are you forcing yourself into yeah, being don't scared? Do that. So yeah, so The Walking Dead was it was I enjoyed the, the book for a while. I knew Charlie Adlard quite reasonably well. Um, right. And uh, I think I picked it up whenever it just, it hadn't been the TV sensation and stuff. And I think mm. my son was about to be born or was close to being born. But as soon as I had kids, it was like, I can't do this. I can't, so many things I couldn't do anymore. And that was one of them. I just put that away. Yeah, so. definitely. I mean, you know, like the, the 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 scene at the prison when um you know the the baby shot basically. Oh, it's horrible. Spoiler. I didn't even I want mean, to that's, do that. That's, that's just like oh my no, god. No, 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 Kirkman, no, no. you are uh, just yeah. <laughs> horrific. Yeah, just uh, no, no. Yeah, isn't that's it? it. I mean, uh, some people I'm, I'm have a stomach for that. I mean, how Charlie can draw that stuff while having, you know, having kids. I don't I don't oh, know, cool. but it's like ugh, I can't I couldn't do it. Um on the other hand, drawing it is maybe different from actually reading it. I think when you're drawing it, yeah. you're cuz I've drawn lots of people getting guts fried and, and yeah, I was going to say you, you, you don't draw kind of like, you know, well, I draw um, for Disney, Disney comics. So, yeah, I, <laughs> so. I draw for 2080. So, so there by nature it is kind of um, gory. But but I my art style is very, you know, I like I lean on hyperbole. I lean on the over the top of of it so that when somebody's guts explode, there is kind of guts flying, and it looks silly. Well, not mm. silly, but it looks like over the top. It doesn't look real. I know artists that sort of draw this stuff, so it's very visceral and very real. And I'm, where I can, if I can, I mean, I've done stuff with Garth as well, and, and Garth Garth can be quite, you know, let's let's see the full-on face of this. And, yeah. and, and for him, it's about narrative. It's about why you're doing that. It's not necessarily just guts for guts sake, but it's like you're telling a story about how, how hellish war is, so you better show that war is hell. So um you do kind of have to have to do that but but at the same time it's like um the drawing of it is an emotional distancing from the from the reading it i think when you're reading it you're invested in the emotions of it when you're drawing it you're just putting ink on paper so you're just kind of going oh i noodle some stuff i noodle some stuff i noodle some stuff and then you look back and go oh that's that guy's brain exploding Ugh, that's a big yuck <laughs> so you know <laughs> but i i do when i'm drawing it i abstract it out as as ink on paper nice Nice, um, and uh, this might be the, the longest podcast you've ever done, is it? <laughs> oh well, you, you're going to be keep competing with uh, with Tony Esmond, okay? Uh, okay. From uh, from a couple of weeks ago, uh, now, and he managed, I think, an hour twenty. Oh, okay, okay. So um, you, you you're on the the, the same track as Tony. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> listeners. It's quite all right. It's quite all right. I'm I'm having an absolute blast. Um, so uh, the the conversation in the in the TA barracks. Oh, I forgot we're in a TA barracks. Yeah, exactly. Still. Remember, there's an alien yeah. invasion going on, PJ. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. forget. <laughs> so, uh, what's what's the most meaningful comic to you? I think. I, th- I mean, they all hold meaning for me, but um, one which I think is deep, deep, deep in my DNA, and and without it, I wouldn't be where I I wouldn't be who I am. Is a strip called Bug Hunters by a guy called Jerry Paris. Um, Bug Hunters was a strip that appeared in a magazine called Computer and Video Games when I was about I think it might have been twelve or thirteen. I was about thirteen, between about the ages of thirteen and eighteen, and uh, Computer and Video Games was way back in the dawn of uh, video game and stuff. There were a bunch of computer magazines. And what would happen is that computer games looked terrible. They just did. The graphics were awful. So they would hire a bunch of illustrators to make them look amazing. So mm-hmm. you would have illustrations sort of describing what the game was like. And then you'd see the game and it would be nothing like those illustrations. And Jerry Paris was an artist that, that was used by particularly computer and video games. Um, 
And Bug Hunters was a strip. It was a kind of it was about a group of robots that were tasked with taking out other robots or tasked with kind of solving these kind of future tech problems. So there's one about a, a VR uh, area that gets out of hand and stuff. And I mean, it's, it's funny. I've come to I'm doing some VR stuff at the moment, but it's funny that Bug Hunters touched on all that stuff. Um, but I, when I was about 12 or 13, I walked into school with a, a copy of Captain Britain. Now, I was at an old Catholic boys' school in right, Northern yeah. Ireland, um, which was yeah. not, it wasn't in the hardest, toughest of areas, but there was quite a preponderance of people that would have come from those areas. And, and there would, mm. have, would have been quite a lot of people would have gone on. I mean, their, their third level education would have been prison, you know, that, that was the, yeah. like that. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's not to say I saw much. I mean, I, I, I was sort of bumbling along, just did my own thing. But I was walking along with a copy of Captain Britain. Um, and somebody said, oh, what's that? And I went, it's Captain Britain. And to me, Captain Britain was a really well, at that point, uh, Almer had stopped writing it. It was written by Jamie Delano. Um, because, and it had become his own, its own comic. And funny, Jerry Paris had done some stuff in the back of Captain Britain as well um, later on. But I, I kind of was like, oh, it's a comic. This is great. This is amazing stories. And I think... Emotionally, I was I was kind of not emotionally. Emotionally is the wrong word, but but I was reading at a, a an older age. I was kind of I I, I always felt if you could read uh, Captain Britain and enjoy it, then you've got a, an emotional intelligence maybe higher than you know if you're not reading Captain Britain and enjoying it. <laughs> sure. So so um. But I went into school and I got the piss taken out of me mercilessly, and I stopped reading comics. Then that was me. I was done. Um. I just. I, I mean, I generally in school was, I don't know if it was because of this, but like when other kids were out the back smoking, I would go, I'm not smoking. They'd go, have a cigarette. I'd go, sure, you're not even smoking. You're not even smoking properly. Inhale that. And they'd inhale it and they'd nearly pass out. i go, you see? So don't try and peer pressure me into smoking. So I couldn't be peer pressured into anything else except I was peer pressured into not reading comics. Mm. And it wasn't even a direct stop reading comics, you, you know, but it was, you know, oh, I can't believe you're reading that. I was so, I just, I just wanted the world to suck me into it and just leave me alone, you know. Um, and so I stopped reading comics. And but because I was into computers at that age as well, I, I would have picked up computer and video games anyway. And Jerry Paris's artwork, I loved. I mean, Jerry has this really chunky black and white art style that I just I just fell in love with. Um, he wasn't doing anything for anything else. There was no Jerry didn't do 2000 AD. He did, and I say Jerry because I know him now. Um, mm. We're we're friends. Um, but he he did stuff for he did the early um, Mar- Marvel UK he did some stuff for Marvel UK including an incredible uh, Snake Eyes comic strip which even now if, if I ever had an opportunity to draw Snake Eyes I would take it because Jerry Paris did a Snake Eyes and I would look for that artwork and I'd steal as much as I could he had this great chunky art style that I just I just sort of glommed onto um, and he also had the name Jerry Paris which always made me confused because Jerry Paris was also the producer of Happy Days. And that was the only Brilliant. two places I saw his name. Amazing. <laughs> so now, obviously, Jerry Paris, the artist, is not Jerry Paris, the producer no. of Happy Days. But but, but you're, when you're young, your brain sort of leaps to all these things, and you don't Happy know. Happy Days as well, amazing. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You just do not know, you know. Um, I actually no. I, I think when I saw the name, I just thought it was a, a wild coincidence. Mm. But of course, it meant nothing to anyone else because they only knew knew the name from from Happy Days. So. Bug Hunters, and later on after that, there was a, a strip called Lieutenant Law about a giant sort of 
police robot with four arms. Um, and these were short. These were like four pages a month. They were nothing. Wow. But it felt like to me they were all I had for, mm-hmm. for a few years. They, they were, to me, the only connection I had to comics and kept me interested in the medium um, and and sustained me like like being a guy, like, like that guy from 127 hours falling down a crack right. and realized, well, you've got it's like a little dribble of water and eking that out. That's what they were to me. And that's why, you know, like if, if I had nothing else, I'd want those, you know. Um, and I mean, my heart breaks at the thought that I gave all this away. You know, I had copies of all this stuff and gave it away and I don't have them anymore. But um, you can't hold on to that stuff forever. It's, if you held on to everything, you'd be buried. Um, but uh, it meant a lot. And Jerry and I are friends now and we chat often. Um, he doesn't really do comics anymore. Um He's actually on Facebook. If you're inter- if you're oh, if you're right. an older comic reader and and, and um, you want to you know say hi, I, I I think he left comics. I don't I, I mean I, I don't want to talk about, uh, about his career because I don't really know his career. But the impression I got was that he he didn't sort of get into. He was actually friends with Steve Dillon, and and when Steve Dillon was mm-hmm. drawing the werewolf story, they, I I mean I remember when I was in my twenties and Steve Dillon telling me about living in a flat in London and uh, doing the werewolf story. It was so hot, and and his mate and his uh, my mate who was, I shared a flat with and his girlfriend were out in the balcony all the time, and I was sitting drawing these bloody werewolves, mm-hmm. and having having chatted to Jerry afterwards, it turns out Jerry was the mate. So Jerry right. was lived with with um, Steve at that time, and but for whatever reason, Jerry, I suspect Jerry went into what seemed like a more lucrative career of advertising and right. uh, video game money, where the money was much bigger. You know, I, I would imagine, I would guess, um, and it somehow locked him out of comics or sort of kept him away from mainstream comics because God, they, I mean, if we'd seen a judge dread by Jerry Paris and I, Jerry's done a couple of sort of pinups and things that, that he's posted online and mm. they're amazing. You just think, Oh, I would have, Oh my God, a Jerry Paris dread. I would have loved that. And we did, um, for the Steve Dillon Memorial book. Um, I kind of thought, well, this is, this is Steve Dillon. I, I, you know, I'd like to do something for, in, in Steve's memory. I'd like to do Trapper Hag, one of the characters Steve drew, because I didn't think anyone else would do him. But I thought it'd be great if if Jerry inked it, even if he just yeah. inked it. Yeah, yeah. I know Jerry, Jerry, Jerry was I don't want to say gun shy, but it may be a little bit kind of reticent. But but um, so so that's what we did. So I penciled it, and he and Jerry inked it, and that 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 remains a high point for me. Just, Amazing. just because of that connection to Buck Hunters and and me yeah. as a twelve or thirteen year old and and kind of reading comics as an escape from everything that was going on. I I would also say I used to go into my school. I'd carry Captain Britain. I'd also read copies of Commando comics with British soldiers on the front of it, in wow. a in a Catholic boys school in Northern Ireland, in in the eighties during the troubles. So I I mean that's how unaffected I was by the troubles. It's completely <laughs> unaware. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> just walking about with that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, fair play, fair play. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's an incredible um, uh, meaning um, yeah. to, to 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 that comic, and uh, yeah, wow. Um, yeah, that's, that's I mean, it annoys me that I don't have a copy of it. They they reprinted it in a Trident collection, I think, because yeah. again, it's short. It's like over the course of months, it was you know it was over every it was about four or five pages a month over the course of a year, so it wasn't that long, you know. Um, mm. And so when they collected it, Trident did a collection that was basically put all of that in another and Lieutenant Law in, in one one collection of forty pages or something. But Trident went under years and years ago when Tundra went under, so the book's never been collected since. I don't own a copy of it. I've got some digital copies that are not great, so I mm. you know I really love to get a copy. If anyone's listening and has one, let me know. Yeah, please get in touch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
on on Twitter. Ideally. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great, fantastic. Um, so the, the the conversation again moves on to uh, what what's the most underrated comic? Um, underrated. Okay, I have put a comic. I don't know if it is underrated, but I think it's not held in as high esteem mm-hmm. as it should be. And I think part of that's because of when it came out. Part of it's because of how light it is. And it's All Star Superman. By, right. by Grant Morrison Brilliant. and um, uh, Vincent Dean, also known as uh, Frank Whiteley. Yes. Um, I think if you, you know, when you go to talk to someone about what comics have you got to got to read, and it's oh, The Dark Knight Returns, and it's Watchmen, and it's um, uh, Batman Year One, and and All Star Superman should be in that list. Mm-hmm. Now it suffers a little bit in that uh, Batman and Dark Knight and, and Year One have this angsty, I'm an eighteen year old and I'm really dark kind of thing, whereas All Star has a kind of look. Everything can be great if you want it to be, yeah. and and so it's it's the Superman version of of I mean, I mean the Dark Knight Returns is almost the most Batmany of Batman. You yes. know, it's it's like it's as the, Batman as you can get. Yeah, it's as Batman <laughs> as you can Batman, the most Batman that ever Batmaned. Uh, and All Star Superman is the most Superman that ever Supermaned, but because it's lighter and maybe frothier, it doesn't have quite the weight and heft of the Dark Knight Returns. But at the same time, really belongs there with it. It really belongs there as a. It really belongs to be held. In the same regard, I think. I think some things, because of the nature of what they are, are never. They never get the kind of esteem that they deserve because they're too light, or they're mm. too frothy, or they're you know, oh, that just that just makes you happy, you know. So, so <laughs> that's that's not a thing you're going to dwell on in the dark with a scotch, thinking about your life and whether it should end at all. That's not that's not that kind of story. That's the kind of story you read. You think to yourself. That was great fun. That was brilliant. That was great crack. That's what Superman should be, uh, and that's where All Star Superman sits, I think. But so I think it's not really. I think because of that, it's sort of like helium. It's escaped the atmosphere a bit. You know, it's too light. It's escaped the gravity of everything else around it. Um, but it it it's a really good strip. I mean, and you know, with all the dark and yeah, if I was if I was locked up alone in a room with aliens outside, I'd think, oh, let me read All Star Superman rather than The Dark Knight Returns. I mean, I know I joked yeah. earlier about, about I do have multiple versions of the dark knight returns that is true sure. because i picked it up i mean going back to bug hunters when i did finally kind of go it's time for me to actually man up here and go and, uh, that's a terrible expression it's time for me to kind of gird my loins and go mm. and and uh admit that i love comics um <clears throat> It was because computer and video games had an article about Kapow Pop comics have grown up, which covered Watchmen, covered The Dark Knight Returns, because it was about 1989-89, and that pushed me to go and read, um, go to, uh, uh, coincidentally, John McRae opened a comic shop in Belfast with his friend Fred Collier, and I went to that comic shop and was like, well, no one's going to make fun of me for reading comics in a comic shop. That, I mean, little that I, little, little did I know that of course people are going to make fun for you for for if you read the wrong kinds of comics. But that's not what I thought at that point. I thought, well, this is we're all in this together. We're all pals. We're all going to read comics. I still have that blind spot where I think. If you read comics, you inherently must be a decent bloke or or woman. Yeah. You must you must be there's some some core decency to you if you read comics. Uh, that's not true. Twitter has taught me, but that's I still in my heart of hearts. Yeah think that that's the case so all star superman's got that frothy lightness that i like definitely um so yeah anybody that hasn't read all star superman get out there and uh and get a copy yeah i mean if you ha- i mean i'd be amazed that's the thing it's it's hard for it's very easy to go have you read um the dark knight returns and it'll be oh it's one of the first things someone recommended to me yeah. um whereas all star superman i don't think gets that that level of recognition doesn't mm-hmm. get that 
But at the same time, it's like... A good place to start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, Dark Knight and all those others do have a problem where you go, well, if you read Dark Knight, then you'll want to go to Batman Year One, then you'll want to go to Watchmen, and then probably Arkham Asylum. But they're all of it. They're almost down this dark track. Whereas All Star Superman's go, you read All Star Superman, it's great. What's next? Like, oh, I don't know. What sort of thing do you like? Ah. So, you know, there are reasons why it's maybe not uh, held up in that pantheon, but at the same time, it Mm. deserves to be. Definitely. Fantastic. Um, and so we, we move on to one of the most difficult questions. Uh, but for you, what's the best comic of all time? Uh, that's an utterly impossible question. So, it? uh, so, so uh, I mean, I, I could draw one from a hat. That would that would be yeah. just as valid a re- an excuse as any. But I will pick one that has some sort of meaning, and I think um, is is a good one. It's uh, Judge Dread, City of the Damned. Now Damn. I know it's the one of the lesser of the Dread kind of um, what what are often called mega epics. I, I mean they're called mega epics because they're long. Generally, the the uh, what do you call it? The um, Apocalypse War is a particularly long one. Mm. But um, and it it's it started the term mega epics. These these stories that would encompass an entire summer and going into uh, autumn of, of, of a run of 2000 AD. Uh, City of the Damned was apparently planned for that and towards the towards somewhere early on John Wagner and Alan Grant went, oh this is boring us, let's just kill it. And so stopped it. And so so it's not even loved that much by the creators of it. Um, wow. I, I love it. I mean I love it and I love it for a couple of reasons. One is that um, when when I was thirteen or fourteen, that coincide. I was reading uh, Captain Britain. I was reading um, Commando comics, but I was also reading Two Thousand AD. And Two Thousand AD had at that point, uh, I remember the issue had a big double page uh, insert poster. Two Thousand AD then was primarily a black and white comic with a color cover and a color sort of interior two pages that mm. was always given over to the main strip, which was Dread. So it was always two pages of Dread. And this time, unusually, was a single poster for City of the Damned. It had this weird mutant thing on it, uh, you know, reaching out for Dread and Judge Dread and Anderson. And it had time travel, which I loved, and it had Dread, which I loved, and the threat, and like a, a mega city one destroyed for reasons we didn't understand. And mm-hmm. I was like, the promise of this. Uh, and then I went into school, browbeaten into not reading comics anymore, and I never knew what it was about. And and so it it held a kind of I think I might have got to read the first one or first two of it, but but I I, I might even not um it might even that, that might be I've I've injected that memory and it might be I never read any of it, um, I I think I picked it up eventually I I kind of saw bits and pieces of it and then one year at a comic convention I was up chatting and by this stage I had a career I was drawing comics um and I had kind of the the mega collections had come out um and i think it's in number five or six i think it is um and the the what do you call it the i went up to chat to the guys at 2080 i said look I, I'm, i've got a hankering to read the um what do you call it the the city of the dam but i mean i'm not expecting it to be great i know i know the story of it that, that john wagner didn't enjoy it and so he killed it dead and so and i know that it's a time travel tale which almost always means there's no consequence to it yeah. um and um but if you've got it i i would like it so they gave me the collection um which was volume i'm going to see which i'm going to google which volume yeah. it is because mm-hmm. i think it's important Fair uh just the complete case files volume eight is right. the volume it's in um 
so that was eight years into Dredd's run, essentially. Um, and yeah, 84 to 80, yeah, 84 to 85, November 84 was when it came out uh, in the comics. So that would have, that tallies roughly with when I was reading Captain Britain and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, and I sat down and I read it. It was amazing. It was everything I wanted it to be. If, I mean, it could have been longer, would have been very happy with it, but it had everything. It had a shocking twist on who the mutant turned out to be. It had a zombified version of Dread. It had one of the coolest, to my mind still, one of the greatest moments in Dread's history where Dread, having been blinded by the mutant and imagining himself, seeing, actually feeling himself in hell, crawls through this double page spread. Now, I don't think it was a great choice of artistry, and Gibson's a great artist, but I don't think it was a great choice for it. But at the same time, this was such a strong, strong moment that um, Dread is kind of, and I'm going to reach up because I'll see if I can quote from it in a way that doesn't sound terribly tossy um yeah. uh they it is this moment where i say dread's been blinded by the by the uh what do you call it by the the mutant creature right. who who we turn out it turns out is a is a character that you know essentially owes its origin to what something dread did quite some time ago um and so ties up a couple of it ties up uh, a couple of other mega epics and so here we go i, I want to read all of this to you right so this is across a double page spread where dread is is just fighting and the, the, like the first thing that hits me is tom frame's lettering on this is amazing because it is not comic book lettering as most people experience it it is big chunky letters to give you a feeling of depth so i'm going to read panel by panel right this is just the words and the pictures when they go with it are amazing so it's to be eyeless in hell to claw your way inch by inch towards your goal to keep going even though the terrors you face are more terrible because you cannot see yet you fight on heading ever for the heat of the inferno and when you can no longer walk you crawl toward the mutant and revenge for the evil he has wrought upon your beloved city revenge that even in your pain-racked mind you know to be hopeless for you are a judge and it is your duty and that's it wow and that's like whoa <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And that, that double page spread has dread sort of, uh, uh, you know, to match the, the, the dialogue, there's dread crawling along. And right at the bottom across the double page spread is dread just clawing himself through flames as, uh, as his, as his uh, suit is melting and, and bits of the yeah. armor sort of melting away from him. And, and, and the, his eyes have been poked out so you can see where the, the, his helmet has got the shattered glass and the blood, you know, it's kind of dripping sweat from his face. Uh, and I mean, it's all an illusion. That's the thing, but it's right. it's as real to dread as it needs to be, you know, to sure. to be real. And that just that on its own is like, whoa, that's incredible. So anyway, I mean, I hope you get a flavour of how awesome that is. I do recommend you go out and pick that up. Well, even you, for that. you describe it and read it very well, PJ. I mean, it's very evocative. <laughs> it's a theatre of the mind, my friend. Theatre of the mind. It? Yeah, uh, well, and you're a monster. There's a, there's a great, um, there's a great sort of. Um, Coda, Coda to this right at the end where Dread is kind of he has he's they've returned and uh, right at the end and I mean this is very much a Dready thing where they go you know how what was it like and he goes um, you know it, it wasn't as bad as you think or whatever you know there's always some little throwaway joke and oh god I'm trying to find it. I can't find the exact quote um, so yeah, he says yeah he says uh, how are you getting on? This is Judge Anderson talking to Dreads. So how are you getting on with the new peepers, JD? Because he's had his eyes replaced. He says, <clears throat> sorry, the eyes, Anderson, give me enhanced clarity over distance, 20-20 night vision, and a 50% reduction in blinking time. 
their efficiency is unarguable. In fact, my one regret is I didn't have the operation done years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's everything. It's like when you're 14, that's everything you want. So that is right. <laughs> it is. It is. That's the, you know. Uh, so I think, I mean, I, it's, it's ridiculous to assume I could bring all the volumes of Dread with me. And I do have, I've upped the volume, I think I've upped the volume 12 or 13 or something, which is roughly up till, you know, I, I, I think up to the point where I was no longer a teenager. Um, right. But it's ridiculous to think I'll bring all those with me, with me and re- read yeah, them, you know. But but at, but at the same time, that one volume, that City of the Damned, has so much of the coolest moments of dread in it um, that that you kind of. I mean, there's. No, I mean, I could endlessly quote just from that, but it's so it's so great. I mean, there's another great moment where dread is is about to be hounded by these. So the 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 mutant has turned a bunch of the judges into vampires, mm. and the, the the story is called Hell Street Blues. Um, I did not know at the time there was a TV show called Hill Street Blues, so there was a pun there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. But Hill, Hill Street Blues, he's turned them all into blood-sucking vampires. And Dread now has got no eyesight, and he's standing there with his eyes popped out, and he and he's all these kind of vampire judges are sort of surrounding him, about to try and leap on him. And he kind of more or less turns to him and goes, look, you know, I, I, I know I look weak here, but you know who I am. You know how many of you I'm going to take out if you try and attack me. You've got to ask yourself, is it worth the risk? And they all back down. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's about, just bravado. Yeah, you know? yeah it, is, it is just, um, it, is, it is amazing. As you, go, you, creeps are, you creeps used to be judges. You know me, blind or not, you know how many of you will die before you, I, you get a sniff of my blood. This fight's between me and the mutant. If you want, well, you know what's good for you, you'll stand aside and let us get on with it. You hear me? Move! <laughs> and then Anderson goes, heck, they're doing it. I don't know where you did your voice training, but I've got to take a course there. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, let's get moving before they change their minds. It's just amazing. It's amazing because it's sort of, it's one of the first wonderful pairings of Anderson with Dread where the, those two characters really bond in a way. You know, mm. they're like Anderson's character really comes out as a kind of very lovely counterpoint to who Dread is. And where Dread is, there's little cracks of, you know what, I know I'm ice cool and stuff, but also I realize I realize I bluffed that, and I realize that's a bluff, and let's get out of here before they realize it's a bluff as well. So um, that, that's it. Um, and, you know, so anyway. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. Fantastic. PJ is excellent. Um, it's, it's so great to hear that passion. Yeah, well, I think I, I think I mean that I, I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm a passionate man, uh, but very yeah, but, they, that's great. but I have I have picked books and and things I think that that gen- have genuine you know they're more than just paper and ink, they have oh, genuine meaning sorry. I think, yeah. you know, um, but those I mean that city of the damned which is I suppose leads me to number nine on your list there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens now <laughs> is that you kind of that's kind of the end of the conversation and kind of out of nowhere like basically the the roof of the ta barracks collapses through ah. like an alien laser and so d6 receive exactly yeah yeah exactly. and um yeah everybody kind of starts to leg it um and and your family uh starts to to, to run away and is safe um but you're right next to your long box which has all of these comics in um, which one do you take with you? Uh, do you know what? I think City of the Damned. I think yeah. City of the Damned because it, 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 for all the reasons I just talked about, um, I think it's quintessential dread and it also connects me to that age so perfectly. And it is very funny and it is very scary and it is very cool. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it, I, I, if it was longer, it would be brilliant, but it's not. 
but in you know in, in in some sense that actually makes it even better. Um, I mean, it didn't even talk about the zombie dread that that somehow comes back with dread in the time machine and and becomes a paradox all of its own. And you're kind of going, you I mean what what happened there? And and they don't really want to talk about it. And uh, you know, the fact that it's a time machine and and they puke up when they get out of it. That's a cool moment as well. So and you know, like the time machine isn't just hop in. It's like the TARDIS hop out again. It's like you go in this, you will feel really ill. It is not a thing to be taken lightly. You know, the whole thing is just wonderful. And it's beautiful artwork. I mean, the, the artwork's uniformly great. The, um, there's an artist called Kim Raymond, who I know John Wagner wasn't terribly fond of, but I actually quite like in it. Right. And, and some of Steve Dillon's best work as well, and Ian Amazing. Gibson's best work. Um, I think they were, I don't know if they, they, they'd basically given uh, Carlos some time off, because it, it, it there wasn't, I don't think there's any of Carlos's artwork in that particular one, which is a shame, but mm. um, at the same time, there's some beautiful Steve Dillon artwork in there and some of the coolest coolest things i think dread works sometimes dread works best there are two ways dread works best one is when he's almost incidental to what's going on it's the world that you're in is crazy and dread turns up and goes this is a crazy world i'm going to resolve it by punching something Mm -hmm. and the the other way that dread works is when he's got a really solid mission when he's got a an a to b and he becomes an unstoppable force and mm-hmm. you know and and this has that this has so i'm looking at this and i, I don't know how many pages one two three four it's not i mean it's not very big it takes up about less than i would say less than a third of this book in fact not even that maybe a quarter of it or something um if that and uh of the collection of the city damned collection so it's it's not big but if i take the city of the of the damned as part of that complete case files that should see me all right through most things amazing yeah. too right um and as as well as as grabbing the city of the damned mm-hmm. um you also grab a weapon tool or useful oh, item see, what I, would that be i am no fool i am i like i i understand <laughs> how alien invasions work i will look for the first person with a snotty nose and a sneeze grab their handkerchief and get out there wave that sucker everywhere nice <laughs> yeah yeah i'll, I'll come in peace me. like a white handkerchief i'll yeah, come I'll in peace and then wipe their nose with it chuck it at them and let the the virus virus take them all out that's the Brilliant. that's my intended plan i mean nice. i am reliant on them on them sort of holding to the hg wells convention yes. but yeah, I, yeah. and i might be in trouble then but i figure i figure anything else is going to look like a weapon and you could go out with bullets and it turns out they're all bulletproof so who knows you know it's as good as if you have as good a chance with a, a snotty hanky as you do with anything that's excellent. So, so your your weapon is a snotty handkerchief. A snotty I love hanky, it. That's yeah. brilliant, PJ. That is the best answer I've had yet. That is incredible. It seems, I mean, to me, it seems like the only sensible answer, but that might be a yeah. reflection on me more than anything. No, I thought it's very smart you, using your intelligence there. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Well, that was that was the other the other uh, useful weapon. I was. I mean, as much as I've downplayed my skills in the event of an alien invasion, the reality is the truth is of all the people that you could gather up in to a room and say we have been invaded by aliens very few people will have had direct experience of that except comic yeah. artists and that's my skill is I, the skill that i bring along to it is is an overactive imagination and the ability to go look i know this sounds nuts but <laughs> what if <laughs> it worked what if, in... what if we get a snotty hanky right and st- everyone sneeze and let's see where this takes us <laughs> That is brilliant. Well, thank you so much for a uh, an incredibly insightful and 
fun interview. Quite the roller coaster, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's really really been a been a pleasure and an honour. Oh, thanks um, very much to, uh, to 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 listen to all of this. Um, and just for the listeners one more time, where can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can get me predominantly on Twitter. If you can find me on Twitter, you can go from there. Um, yeah. I am at Paul J. Holden on Twitter. And my website's www.pauljholden.com. And uh, those are the two big places you'll get me. Fantastic. I mean, do you have anything coming up that you can talk oh, about? Oh, I've been drawing this or... graphic novel for what feels like the duration of World War II. Um, I've oh, been drawing a graphic novel with Garth Ennis. It, it, oh, will, not, it will not see print till 2020. So, uh, no, on the other hand, there is a Judge Dredd collection coming out quick, uh, very soon, which is, uh, I think it's called The Winter War or something. Um, let me let me, uh, let me me double check that. It collects yeah. a bunch of things for... Um, uh goodness what what um let me see i'll just check 2080's website that's the smart thing to do um it is collects uh stuff that i did with uh um michael carroll and it's called uh yeah judge dread cold wars so uh, it's all set in winter places which is hence the name yeah uh, so uh yeah so it's good rob williams and michael carroll john wagner Trevor Hersine, Dan Cornell, uh, and others. Um, so that that is coming out. I think that's uh, coming out in a month. But you should be able to pick that up if you uh, like my work. You should see nice. that. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, PJ Holden. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, time. Sam. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I wish you all the best of luck in the alien invasion. <laughs> Thanks very much. I should be all right, right? Snotty Yankee should be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I, You're I, street I, smart, right? That's what so. it is, yeah. I'd be dead in the first two minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> All the I reckon you'd surprise yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, PJ. You take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to PJ for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was beyond awesome. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps others aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out PJ's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.